Multimorbidity presents many challenges, especially for the patients living with a number of different conditions, but also for the healthcare professionals caring for them in systems that often are not designed with these more complex needs in mind. I'm Navjoit Lada, Clinical Reviews Editor, and I'm joined by two of the authors of a clinical review published on thebmj.com looking at the management of multimorbidity in primary care. We're joined by Dr. Emma Wallace. Hello, Emma. Hello, Navjoit. And Professor Susan Smith. Hello, Susan. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for joining us. Now, we'll start just by talking about what actually is multimorbidity and how it's defined. Can I ask you to answer that question, Emma? Certainly. So, multimorbidity is commonly defined as the presence of two or more chronic medical conditions in an individual. Um, It is thought to affect about one in six um, people in in the United Kingdom. And as you get older, it's more prevalent. So about six in 10 people uh, over the age of 65. It's more prevalent in uh, deprived areas. And people uh, living in areas of deprivation are more likely to have mental health difficulties um, uh, as well as as the physical health um, morbidities. Okay. And Emma, how is the kind of complexity and burden of multimorbidity kind of defined? Does it relate directly to the number of conditions or are there other factors? I think there's other factors and I think a nice way of thinking about it is um, just to, to take it back to, to a hypothetical patient. So we um, we mentioned a, a hypothetical patient in our review and it's, it's quite a typical uh, patient that you would meet in general practice. So a 78-year-old lady who is um, suffering with di- type 2 diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, osteoarthritis, depression, and uh, she's had a heart attack in the past. If we were to follow all of the different clinical guidelines, um, she would be needing to take 10 medications and potentially would need um, up to 11 other medications throughout the course um, of her illnesses, depending on progression. She'd also need to have um, eight routine primary care visits annually, and she may need to visit um, other so psychological and social um, appointments throughout the year as well, and she may that, that could be up to 30 other visits. Um, so when you think about that for, for a, a typical patient with multimorbidity, um, there is a huge amount of burden there. And when we talk about the treatment burden for patients with multimorbidity, it's, um, it's this engagement with multiple healthcare providers across multiple settings um, and all of the various medication and um, all, all the other issues that arise that, that we're talking about. Okay. And I know that there's um, a growing movement for minimally disruptive medicine um, that takes into account kind of the realities of daily living and the, yeah, as you say, the burden that's placed on patients by treatment, let alone kind of the existing burden of their illness. Um, How do you think that doctors can be more aware of the treatment burden and, you know, steps we can take to reduce that burden on patients? Well, I mean, I think treatment burden is a very interesting uh, area, particularly for multimorbidity. But of course, multimorbidity is also very challenging for GPs. And Mm. A lot of the interviews and qualitative work with GPs, they talk about how difficult they find it um, because there's just so much to be done. And I suppose the first step, uh, which we would talk about in our review, is is even just the recognition that this is a person who has multimorbidity and that a GP perhaps needs to think, I need a different approach here. Uh, I just simply can't follow multiple single chronic disease guidelines. Mm. First step really is to, is to say this is someone with multimorbidity and then perhaps to try and reduce treatment burden and reduce fragmentation of care by assigning an individual GP to look after that patient. So that's really the first step and then you can get into other strategies around uh, prioritizing what problem you're going to deal with at a given consultation. 
Okay. And I mean, that's so true. I mean, as a GP, one of the greatest frustrations I have when I see patients with complex multimorbidity is that our health services and the research underpinning the care we provide is so often focused on a single specialty or on a single problem. Um, and as you say, the clinical review goes through many of the challenges in the management of multimorbidity, both for patients and for healthcare professionals. And it seems that the challenges are a combination of kind of actual clinical complexity and the systems that aren't well suited to managing this complexity. So you've mentioned one of them, which is um, fragmentation of disease. And that really resonated because, you know, a patient might be seeing several dis- different specialists, district nurses, physiotherapy, other allied healthcare professionals. And my experience is that that's time consuming and burdensome for the patient. There's communication challenges for the professions, professionals involved. And it can be difficult to coordinate as a GP. Um, so once as once you've recognised that, you know, multi, you have a multi patient with multimorbidity um, and this issue might be going on, what would you recommend to provide more of a coordinated approach? Can I ask you to answer that question, Susan? Well, I mean, in the review, what we're suggesting is the first step is obviously marking that this patient has multimorbidity and then assigning an individual GP, obviously with the patient's agreement, to the named GP for that person. And then that the GP and the patient would sit down and, you know, perhaps construct a management plan. You could use some kind of a decision support aid um, to aid the prioritization process. And then that, that visits are set up uh, based on the patient's priorities. Um, in the review, we also talk about other team members, other primary care team members being involved. So, for, for example, a practice nurses could do some of the, the screening tests that there may be some risk factors that are common to many of their conditions. They may need their blood pressure checked or their weight or whatever. They may need, we know that people with multimorbidity often have a lot of problems with depression and anxiety, so it may be appropriate to do depression screening. And again, someone else could perhaps do that before the patient sees the GP. Um, so there's lots of different tactics that a practice can, can adopt to, to try and make this management more effective. Okay. Uh, and you do talk about in the review the kind of difficulties of chronic disease management as well in patients with multimorbidity. So things like um, single disease guidelines, single disease targets that often are harder to apply in this setting. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Certainly. So I think um, with clinical guidelines, um, they tend to be developed using randomized control trial evidence. But um, the difficulty is that the majority of randomized control trials um, don't um, consider or include patients with um, complex multimorbidity. Um, And therefore, when we're trying to apply um, clinical guidelines to this patient group, it becomes very challenging because while each guideline may be very rational in its own um, sense, um, in addition to all of the other recommendations from different clinical guidelines, um, it can become extremely burdensome and it can become extremely difficult for um, GPs to know which guideline to be following um, for, for, for whatever problem is, um, is, is being presented. Um, so there is this, um, this trade-off between trying to achieve disease-specific targets um, while also trying to make sure that what matters most to the patient, uh, which may be something around function or um, around um, mental health difficulty, is prioritised. Um, so I think there are those trade-offs, and I think the value of clinical judgment in those um, uh, decisions does need to be um, valued. 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree completely with Emma. And I, I suppose we're also aware that one of our co-authors, Professor Bruce Guthrie up in Dundee, is involved at the moment in coordinating a NICE guidance on, the, on multimorbidity, which I think will be very helpful. It'll be a challenging guideline to write, but I think it'll be really helpful for clinicians when it is produced. And we would really welcome a, a focus away from single conditions towards multimorbidity uh, for GPs. And as you said, the outcomes that are relevant to patients are often different too. So you talk about this in the review, the, the focus on function as well. And in your practice, is, is that what you encounter, that that's something that's important to patients? Um, absolutely. Um, certainly, I saw a patient um, who is a typical patient with multimorbidity, and I was um, really worried about her blood pressure, and all, all she wanted to talk about that day was her knee pain because that was preventing her um, being able to mobilise up and down her stairs. So it's, it's, these are the issues that sometimes really matter. Um, and I think um, it's only when we really ask patients what really matters to them that we can really start organising care um, that is really patient-centred. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. It can be so difficult to see the wood for the trees, if you like, when you have, you know, cough reminders popping up on your screen or, um, you know, or it feels a lot of the time that you're firefighting and not taking kind of proper overview of exactly that what matters to the patient um, which ties into something really important which is um, shared decision making um, shared decision making is challenging at the best of times um, you know doing that properly but in your experience how is it best to practice this in the setting of multimorbidity well we have looked into this in relation to multimorbidity and there's obviously some very, very useful shared decision-making tools around, but again, often with a focus on single conditions and what are the options within that condition. So there's, there's one resource that we've recommended within the, the clinical review, which is, is, has been developed in Ottawa in Canada, which is much more around just general decision-making and prioritization. So I think in multimorbidity, you need to be identifying what's the priority of the patient as opposed to what their choices are within a particular given condition. Uh, now, if they decide that they want to really improve their diabetes control as their priority, then maybe you could move towards a more disease-specific shared decision-making framework. But where you need to start in multimorbidity is around what it is that they want to look at. Yeah, okay. Just as well, to, to follow on from what Emma was saying earlier about and the patient's focus and the outcomes that really matter to patients, which again, of course, links into decision-making, is to be really aware of the other resources we have in primary care to support physical functioning, that I think sometimes with these patients, we, we can be so overwhelmed by how many problems they have from a clinical perspective that we might forget that actually some of their symptoms, for example, fatigue or pain, can actually be dealt with quite effectively by physiotherapists or by occupational therapists. So some of the interventions we're developing in the research side for multimorbidity, actually we're using occupational therapy uh, and physiotherapy to help people with multimorbidity. And, and they look like they're very promising approaches. Yeah, it seems like they can make a, a really meaningful difference, doesn't it? Um, okay, well... I mean, the other big challenge, huge challenge, if you like, as with everything in primary care, is time. And you've talked about some of the um, more efficient ways of using other members of the practice team um, to for more efficient use of time. Um, and in the review, you also talk about extended consultation times um, and how they can be useful too. Um, what's your experience with extended consultation times? 
Well, I think um, it's interesting. I, 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 I did some training in geriatrics during my GP training, and um, I, I would have an hour to spend with, with a patient, and that would be a, a typical multimorbidity patient that I now see in general practice in, in, in 10 to 15 minutes. So um, I think it's I think there there is definitely um, scope for extended consultation times for specific um, specific patients with complex multimorbidity. Um, obviously, with the demand for general practice ser um, services increasing all the time, it can be very challenging to actually implement that in practice. But there is some um, good research evidence that shows that with extended consultation time, that there is more preventative care delivered, and um, that, that subsequently patients utilize um, health care less frequently. So, for example, emergency admissions um, um, can be reduced. And I think certainly in deprived areas, there's good evidence that extended consultation times increase both patient and professional um, satisfaction. So I certainly think it's a really interesting area. Um, Stuart Mercer is leading a, a trial in Scotland called the Care Plus trial, which is looking at, a, at I suppose, a systems-based approach in general practice for multimorbidity. But one of the um, one of the parts of that is the extended consultation. So I'll be really interested to see um, to see what that what that group finds. Absolutely, um, it's interesting that you mentioned geriatrics. Actually, um, I was just thinking that you know these are complex patients and sometimes it can be a struggle to to manage um to manage a lot of these issues in in primary care do do you think there is a role for kind of um specialist help in these situations i know the review is you know the management of multimorbidity in primary care but at what point do you think it's worthwhile involving um someone a team who also has a similar overview to primary care which is um a geriatrician well i mean i i, I think most of us are, would be nearly relieved if our patient with multimorbidity is over 65 because then we actually can link in with maybe specialists from medicine for the elderly because really they're, near, they're the last generalist physician standing at this stage in most European countries. And what we, I suppose what we would really need actually is that type of support but for, for middle-aged people because there's actually in absolute terms more middle-aged people living with multimorbidity than elderly people just simply because there's more middle-aged people. So, in fact, I think we need more general physicians who are prepared to see people with multiple conditions and are prepared to support GPs managing these patients. And I think for a lot of us, it's so frustrating, and we're trying to work out which of the specialists that they're seeing can help me work out what is the problem for an underlying symptom such as breathlessness. Could it be their COPD? Could it be their heart failure? You know, so we, we, it really would help GPs, I think, if our systems focused more on multimorbidity than on single conditions. Um, case finding and case management with the goal of reducing emergency admissions is becoming increasingly common. And in some areas, um, in England at least, it's now incentivised. Um, do you think it's useful and does it improve outcomes? Well, um, I think it's a very interesting area and it's certainly, um, it's certainly becoming increasingly popular, as you say. Uh, we recently conducted a systematic review looking at risk prediction rules um, for the purpose of, of predicting patients who um, would experience a future um, emergency admission. So it's an area we have some interest in. Um, certainly there are a number of different tools available, um, but I think identifying high-risk people is just the first step. And then um, the next, I suppose, more important step is to, is to how to actually intervene to reduce that person's risk of a future emergency admission. Um, and certainly, I suppose, the evidence base for community-based interventions is, um, is quite limited. Um, and case management um, 
definitely has a role in terms of um, reducing caregiver strain and um, increasing patient satisfaction. But in terms of actually reducing admissions, um, the evidence is quite limited. So I think it's a, an interesting area, but I think, um, I think more research probably needs to be done to figure out what community-based interventions uh, can really make an impact. Okay. Um, and then finally, let's finish by getting a bit uh, pie in the sky, if you like. Um, <laughs> if you were going to design the dream healthcare system that was able to better serve patients with complex multimorbidity, uh, what might it look like? Well, I think my, my number one would, would be to have one clinical record that all members of the healthcare team use um, across all clinical sites because um, it really would, all those issues around fragmentation and coordination would be made so much easier if we were all working off the, the same, same record, I think. Yeah, and that we had good ways of communicating with each other. Uh, so I suppose that links back to the earlier point about there being general physicians that we could link in with as GPs. Um, I think we would all, I mean, most GPs would say they would like to be able to spend more time with patients. So this is actually very rewarding work clinically because, you know, it's where you have to make uh, decisions and use your clinical judgment. And that's what we've been trained to do. And that's what we are happy to do if we feel we have some time to do it properly. Um, and I, I think certainly I'd like to know that I had a, a fully functioning primary care team working alongside me, physios, OTs, psychologists, and that between all of us that we could try and address uh, the, the problems prioritized by patients. Um, and I think I would also um, like a system of rationalizing every single medication that we prescribe <laughs> for a patient. And when we start one, to think about is there any medication that could either be stopped or could we um, use combined preparations? Um, because I think th this concept of de-prescribing, so really looking at um, what we're prescribing and, and seeing if it's still beneficial and what the, what the evidence is and if the clinical indication is still there, I think that's, um, that's really, really important as well much to ask yeah no exactly yeah we can get there i'm sure <laughs> um okay well emma wallace and susan smith thank you so much for joining us today thank, thank you. you very much thank you and the uh, clinical review on managing multi-morbidity in primary care is now available on the bmj.com